Good morning. Hey, guys. Glad to see you're still sitting in the front row. If you move to the back row this week, I might get a little suspicious, but um, it is so good to be here with all of you. I am so thankful that, uh, thankful to Jeff and Joey for giving me the opportunity to preach here on a Sunday morning, but uh, on behalf of myself, my wife Claire, and our daughter Hazel, we also just want to extend a huge thank you to you as a church. Uh, people have come over to help us get moved in, to help paint and do house repairs. Uh, people have brought over food. People have invited us into their homes to offer us food and fellowship. Um, we have just been truly blessed uh, since being here, and we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for just being the body of Christ to us and welcoming us in. And uh, it's truly incredible that the way you guys respond to us coming here is the way that you respond to everyone who does. Uh, so keep doing what you're doing, continue to encourage and show hospitality, and uh, so I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you as a church for welcoming us in. Um, you know, throughout my life, I have learned a lot of things about myself, uh, and then I got married a little over three years ago, and you learn even more about yourself, and something that I've learned about myself is there's a few things in life that it's hard for me to say no to. Um, you know, a good round of disc golf or a game of ultimate frisbee, it's hard to say no to. I love that as a pastime. Uh, it's hard to say no to watching the Ohio State Buckeyes play on a Saturday or the Cincinnati Bengals on a Sunday. Not as much cheering for that one. <laughs> but we'll see how this afternoon turns out. If you didn't know, the Bengals are playing the Colts at 1 o'clock. I, I, I thought about preaching in my Bengals jersey, but decided not to. But I've realized in my life there is one thing for me that is next to impossible to say no to. No matter how hard I try, no matter how many times I'm faced with this thought, I can't say no to a donut. I mean, just looking at that picture makes my mouth water. I mean, either that or it's because I'm preaching, I'm not sure. But um, I mean, just the thought of, you know, the glaze touching your lips, the, the joy that comes from getting a donut with sprinkles. Um, don't even get me started about how much fun it is to lick your fingers when you're done with it. Um, I'll spare you the mouth noises, though. Um, I, I am a weak man at the mercy of a donut. And, and I know what you're thinking. Uh, can our new youth pastor really be bribed with something as easy as a donut? Yes, 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 I can. I can be bribed with a donut. But thankfully, um, our sermon today is not about bribery, but it is about the last petition in the Lord's Prayer. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I, I actually prefer the, the Duncan translation, uh, and don't lead us into temptation. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, I'll try to stop with the donut references, but I can't promise. Um, but whether a donut or gossip or anger or envy, lust, whatever it may be, we face temptations on a daily basis. And through praying this prayer, uh, God and Jesus Christ teaching his disciples has given us a way through those temptations. So in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, um, there are three petitions that Jesus is teaching his disciples in order to show them their dependence on God. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeff led us through the petition to pray for our daily prayer. When we pray this, we're showing our dependence on God, our gracious provider. Last week, John Crocker took us through the petition to forgive us of our sins, forgive us our debts. 
And when we pray this prayer, we're showing our dependence on God, our merciful forgiver. And this week, we're walking through the lead us and deliver us. And when we pray this prayer, we are showing our dependence on God, our victorious leader. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are not two separate petitions, but two halves of the same petition. So the big question that we're going to be answering this morning is, why do we need to pray this prayer? Why did Jesus teach his disciples to pray this prayer? Why did he tell them and teach them to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at three reasons why we need to pray this prayer. Three reasons why we need to pray this prayer. And the first reason is that we are unaware of God's deliverance. We are unaware of God's deliverance. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father, lead us not into temptation. But if we're praying that to God our Father, that begs the question, can God actually tempt us? Well, the short answer is no. And we see this longer answer in James 1, 13 and 14. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You know, growing up with older brothers, I was tickled maniacally when we were kids. And for some of you who may be older siblings, I know you can relate. I would roll around begging them to stop, and they usually never relented. But this is not the relationship we have with God, our Father. He is not seeking to tempt us to sin and will only relent if we beg and pray for him to stop. So then, if God cannot tempt us to sin, why did Jesus have his disciples pray this prayer? Well, to answer this question, let's look at the word for temptation. In the Greek, the word for temptation, test, and trial, it's all the same word. So while it might mean temptation, it also might mean a test. So God lead us not into a place of testing, as some people have translated it. And I think that's a pretty good uh, translation because it gets through this idea that it's not God necessarily tempting us to sin, but we're praying to be spare from testing from God. But we do see throughout Scripture that while God does not tempt his children to sin, he will test his children to give them an opportunity to show their obedience and devotion to him. We can think of Abraham and sacrificing his son Isaac, being told by God to sacrifice his son, and then only right before he was about to sacrifice him did God provide a way out. We can think of God testing Job in his life when his health, his family, all his possessions were stripped away. Was Job still going to honor God? And he did. And Jesus, we can even think of the ways that he tested people that came up to him during his ministry. Like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking to follow him. And Jesus responds by saying, go home, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, then come follow me. See, Jesus knew what was standing between the young ruler and Jesus. And it was a test to see his devotion to him. But if God knows our hearts... Why does he need to test us? 
And I've come to think that it functions more as a proof to us that we are capable of withstanding the test than it is necessarily a proof to God that we indeed are obedient. We can think of a time when we've taken a history test or a math test or something like that. For some, that might have been a couple days ago. For others, a couple years ago. Or maybe a few more than a couple years ago. But if you can think, place yourself taking a test, the person seated next to you, you know is the top of your class, they are going to get an A. And the teacher leaves for a few moments, and you look over and you see that if you wanted to, you could cheat off the person next to you. Well, if you did that, you might get an A, but what have you actually proved to yourself that you're capable in terms of history or math or whatever it may be? You haven't really proved anything to yourself. But when we take a test on our own ability, on our own studying, and our own power of taking the test, we show this is what I'm capable of. But don't mishear me. What I'm not arguing for is self-reliance. Actually, it's the opposite. When we pray this prayer to lead us not into temptation, we are praying to be spared trials and testing, but we know that if God chooses to let us walk through the temptation or the test anyway, he will give us the strength to stand up to the test. So we know that when we pray this prayer, if God lets us walk through it, he will give us the strength to withstand the test. But as we're talking about tests and temptations, do we really need to make a distinction here in this, the Lord's Prayer between a test and a temptation? John Crocker, who preached last week, has written a book called Divine Rendezvous about the Lord's Prayer. It came out just this year. And if you're looking for uh, an opportunity to learn more about the Lord's Prayer, see how it can fit into your prayer life, into your devotional life, I highly recommend it. But in his book on the Lord's Prayer, on this petition, he says this. The purpose of temptation to sin is to destroy and cause failure. The purpose of testing is to strengthen and refine. But making a distinction between a test of faith and an enticement to sin in this instance is not necessary. Because every enticement to sin has a test of faith. And every test of faith has some element of an enticement to sin. I thought about reading that quote in a South African accent, but didn't think I could pull it off. <laughs> so whether it's a test or a temptation, we are told to, be, to pray so that we may be spared from it. When God answers this prayer, we are delivered from temptation and delivered from the test. Otherwise, we might go through life completely oblivious to the fact that God has spared us from particular dangers like hiking a trail on the edge of a cliff in the fog. You're, you're close to danger, but you're not aware. So by praying this prayer, we're praying to be spared times of testing and temptation, but we become aware of the fact that God is, in fact, delivering us. Prayer opens our eyes, like lifting the fog from hiking that trail. Though, there will, in fact, be times when we do have to enter into situations of severe testing and temptation. We can think of Psalm 23 and how the psalmist prays that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God has not promised us smooth sailing, but he has promised us a safe landing. 
So the first reason we pray this prayer is because we are unaware of God's deliverance. And by praying this prayer, we become aware of his deliverance. The second reason we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is because we are unsuited to handle the powers of evil on our own. We are unsuited to handle evil on our own. The second half of the petition is a prayer to our Father to deliver us from evil. But what is the evil that we are seeking to be delivered from? Is it all the evil in the world? Is it my own evil desires? Is it Satan? Is it our adversary? Well, many of your Bibles maybe have a footnote that says, while some translations render it evil, others might say the evil one, in which case it would be Satan. But this is not really that complicated of an issue, as it happens in English. When we have an adjective like strong and make it substantive with a definite article, it becomes the strong or the strong one. And the same thing is happening here in our passage. It's also this idea of general versus specific. You know, um, I know most of you probably here are Colts fans, and today is the first week of the season, so I feel like I should throw in a football reference. Um, If we're thinking general versus specific in terms of evil, general evil would be like the New England Patriots. Specific evil would be like Bill Belichick. So they're they're all going for the same goal, But, (laughs) really, of all the things, I get applause for that. That's great. Um, they They both have a specific goal, but they're both referring to the same thing. So, likely, the prayer is meant to focus our attention on the evil one Um, And pray for deliverance from him because we are too weak on our own to overpower him. So we are thus unsuited to handle the evil one. But why is that? Paul, when he's talking uh, to the Ephesians about the armor of God, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of evil in the heavenly realms. These forces of evil play by different rules. We need the whole armor of God, every bit of it, to defend against the forces of evil and doing everything to stand firm. And when we have done everything and we still feel the the desire of the temptation to sin, do we give up? Of course not. You continue to cry out for deliverance through the entire process because where we are weak, we know that God is strong. But don't wait until you're falling off the cliff to cry out for help. But we are unsuited to handle evil on our own because the enemy is crafty. The enemy is crafty. It's not always easy to tell what they're trying to do. It's not like Lord of the Rings or one of those old spaghetti westerns where you always know who the bad guy is. They're usually wearing some sort of dark clothing. They've got some scar or whatever it may be. I mean, even in Lord of the Rings, the one guy who kind of looked normal, his name was Grima Wormtongue. Are you really going to trust a guy with that name? I don't know. But in our world, the temptations we face are disguised, and they're designed to prey on our weaknesses and undercut our strengths. Listen to something I read this week. The powers of evil always masquerade as freedoms that we have been graciously given or as necessities that we cannot live without. So you need this, or you've been given this. This is up to you to decide. That's the lies we get from evil. 
God may be seeking to test us for our good, but the evil one will swoop in and try to exploit the situation for our ruin. God also tells us to confess our sins. 1 John 1.9 says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sins to God, he cleanses us. What a promise. But as we're praying through the Lord's Prayer, we confess our sins to God. That's the petition that immediately precedes what we're looking at this morning. Last week, we were taught about praying through the petition to forgive us of our sins. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we're praying through the petitions, we come to forgive us our sins, and God forgives us. But right then and there is when evil likes to strike. Before we even get to this petition to deliver us from evil, he likes to step in and say, that doesn't apply to you. You're not really forgiven. What you did was actually unforgivable. God does not love you. So the accusations from the evil one bring about unresolved guilt in our minds, and we feel unworthy of God's love and of God's grace. So when we pray this prayer, we see through the craftiness of the enemy. You know, temptation to sin usually does start as something insignificant, something small. And the forces of evil will tell you, you can handle this on your own. You've got this. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. You know, I was talking to a friend this week, and uh, I was confessing my weakness of donuts, and uh, I asked what his weakness was in terms of food, and he confessed that it was any kind of sugar. He had uh, seen a bag of Skittles on the counter, and there was two Skittles left in it, and he decided to eat them. I mean, after all, he is saving someone else from that temptation by eating those Skittles, um, but taking those two Skittles and eating them awakened with him in him a hunger for more and more sugar. He could not quench it until he had scoured the pantry finding more sugar in the form of some old gummy candy. So you might think this temptation is small and insignificant. That's the temptation of sin. But listen to what Howard Hendricks, one of Joey's former professors, said about sin. He said, sin takes you further than you want to go, sin keeps you longer than you want to stay, and sin costs you more than you want to pay. I think we need to have a healthy view of sin, and that one little temptation will not stop there. So the enemy is crafty, yes, but the enemy is also relentless. The enemy is relentless. The evil one is on the prowl. We read in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says that to the church, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan and evil were defeated by Christ on the cross, but that does not keep him from trying. Keeping with the football analogy... If the Colts were defeating the Patriots by 50 points at the two-minute warning, only two minutes left in the game, the game is over. There is no possible way for the forces of evil, the Patriots, to come back and win the game. But they're still going to send 11 people out on the field every play. They're still going to try and score points. They're still going to try and fight their way back into it somehow. And this is the situation with the devil. 
He knows his eternal destination. The battle is over. There is no more fighting that needs to be done because Christ defeated him. The Lion of Judah defeated the roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he's still going to try. Satan knows his ultimate demise is coming, but until then, he is relentless in his tempting of the children of God towards sin and destruction. But do we have hope of overcoming the evil one in our daily lives? Jesus won, yes, but how does that impact me? You know, Jesus was led into testing and temptation, not just after his baptism when he was in the desert, But throughout his ministry, he was tested and tempted. As we think of the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was there praying the night he was betrayed, he was in anguish over the thought of going to the cross. Yet he prayed to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. Thus, Jesus was led into testing. And because he went to the cross, he was not delivered. He suffered and died on the cross to take our place. Thus, God delivers us from evil because he did not deliver his own son from the pangs of death. So this leads us to the third reason as to why we should pray this prayer. Not only are we unaware of God's deliverance in our lives, not only are we unsuited to handle the powers of evil on our own, but when we pray this prayer, we become unhindered in our pursuit of Christ. The third reason we pray this prayer is because we become unhindered in our pursuit of Christ. Jesus, by the very fact that he told his disciples to pray this prayer, it's an implicit promise that if we seek deliverance from evil, we shall find it. God answers our prayer. Life is a spiritual minefield, and if we try to navigate it on our own, we know we will fail. Thus, our prayer to our Father is, lead us and deliver us. Yes, we will face trials and temptations, but only a fool would make that his preference. Thus, when we pray this prayer for God to lead us and deliver us, it frees us up to pursue Christ. A couple of my favorite verses in Scripture, um, you might even call them my life verses, are from Hebrews 12, Chapter, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God's desire is for us to run the race unhindered. That means laying aside every weight and sin that could trip us up. That means taking every opportunity to cast aside those temptations to sin. And that means praying this prayer, lead us, deliver us. Praying this prayer enables us to become unhindered in our pursuit of Christ. The more we are aware of the evils around us, the more we realize our dependence on God and our need for him. Like being in a busy street or a busy highway with a blindfold and earplugs on. You might know a little bit that there's some cars going by, but you don't see the danger. You don't hear the danger. 
So by praying this prayer, it's like taking off the blindfold, taking out the earplugs, seeing the danger around us, and clinging to God, our Father. The moment we cry out to help, to God for help, the rescue operation begins. Listen to the Spirit of God within you. Take the lifeline that God provides. James 4, 7 gives us this promise. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What a promise that when we resist the devil, clinging and submitting to God, he will flee from us because he knows he has lost. And Paul, in the armor of God portion of Ephesians, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So my question to you this morning is, have you done everything to stand firm? John Crocker, also in his book, said this. He said, people who flee temptation often leave a forwarding address. Are you leaving a forwarding address to the temptation that you are facing? Are you deliberately choosing the pathway of evil? We cannot pursue the sinful allurements of the devil's domain and at the same time pray to be protected from their destructive effects. That's the equivalent of me getting in my car, going down to the donut shop, walking in, buying some delicious donuts, taking them home, thinking about it all day, walking inside, putting it on the kitchen counter, and then praying to God for strength not to eat them. Don't even drive by the donut shop. Jesus calls for radical amputation of the things that are causing us to sin. He says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better to enter the kingdom of God maimed than to not do so at all. So God and Jesus call for radical amputation. Take care of those things that are going to be tripping you up. Lay aside all the sin and the weight that can weigh you down. So what should our response be to praying this prayer? N.T. Wright in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, gives us three wrong responses and one right response. And I thought he summarized it well, so I'm going with it. The first wrong response to praying this prayer is to minimize evil. To just think, I'll be fine, not that big of a deal. He likens this to the equivalent of being in a burning building, realizing how hot it is, and then just taking off a few layers. Don't minimize evil. But on the other side, you don't want to maximize evil either. Seeing the devil behind every bush and every nook and cranny and then confessing the devil made me do it. No, we don't want to maximize evil either. The third wrong response is self-righteousness. We pray this prayer and then pray, thank you, God, that I do not give into worldly temptation like these evildoers. Because as we learn from Scripture, pride goes before a fall. So the right response then for all of us is to recognize the reality of evil, but also the reality of Jesus' victory over it. Jesus' victory is real. We recognize that he defeated evil on the cross, and it gives us the strength to keep fighting. As N.T. Wright phrased it, he said, To pray deliver us from evil 
is to inhale the victory of the cross. I love that line. To pray, deliver us from evil, is to inhale the victory of the cross. Like stepping into your home when your spouse has made a great home-cooked meal and the smell has just permeated the house and you step in and just take a breath and it's almost as if all the worries of your job and all the worries of the day melt away as you inhale that. And that's the picture we have for us. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we need to be inhaling of Christ's victory. So when we see temptation or when we're faced with a trial or a test, we can say, I know that God is giving me the strength to withstand it because Christ himself defeated sin and death on the cross. And, you know, even as we think about the Ambassador Project um, and the capital campaign, today is Prayer Sunday. So how does praying lead us and deliver us go together with the Ambassador Project? Well, it's a great reminder of our dependence on God through this entire process. We can pray to the Lord to protect us from the temptation of materialism. We can pray for protection from disbelief or maybe thinking that these new updates to the building will fix everything. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are to pray this prayer for three reasons. One, because we are unaware of God's deliverance. Two, because we are unsuited to handle the powers of evil on our own. And three, we pray this prayer because when we pray it, we become unhindered in our pursuit of Christ. What a promise of deliverance. Wow. You know, we may not know what the future holds, but yes, indeed, we know who holds the future. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise for all the good that happens in this world. We know that you are sovereign and that you are in control, but yet, God, we sometimes feel as though evil is winning. We look at the world around us, and there doesn't seem to be much hope. But God, we know that as the church, we are the hope of Christ on earth. I pray that you would give us the strength to withstand the temptations to sin, and that if at all possible, you would spare us from these tests and trials. But God, if it is your will for us to walk through it, we pray for the strength to withstand it. We thank you for this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.